Hello and welcome to the Health Hacks podcast, the podcast for high-performing professional females looking for practical ways to optimize all areas of their health and wellness. At Health Hacks, we understand that as a busy female, you wear numerous hats throughout your working week. You're trying to juggle it all, while also looking to carve out time to prioritize your own goals. It's challenging. It's therefore our mission to channel your energy into the areas that are going to help give you the biggest bang for your buck, to really make significant changes to your lifestyle in the most efficient way possible. So at the moment, if you feel as though you need more energy, you want to feel more productive to improve the quality of your sleep, to lower stress, to increase confidence, to show up better in both your personal and your professional relationships, this podcast is for you. If it's time you prioritize your health, learn to fuel your body, found time for exercise, and said goodbye to fad diets and inconsistent behaviors for good, this podcast is for you. If it's time for you to step into the shoes of the high performer you know you can be, this is the right podcast for you. Join me and my guests as we take you through the Health Hacks podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Hacks podcast. I hope you're doing wonderfully well and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Absolutely thrilled to have you if you are a new listener to the podcast and welcome back if you are a long-term listener of Health Hacks. We've had an amazing start to the year, some really amazing guests, some fantastic episodes and I'm looking forward to continuing to bring you these recordings for the rest of 2024. If you would like to show your support to the podcast, it would mean the world to me. If you could scroll down, you've probably got your phone, your device in your hand. If you could scroll down on your chosen platform of choice, it's probably Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are the the big ones. If you could hit either the follow or the subscribe button on either of those platforms. One, we will uh, will join you, become a follower of our show, but it will also mean that we will come straight to your podcast inbox every single week. So there's never a need for you to search for health hacks. We'll just magically appear with the latest episode and you'll get to listen as, as soon as it becomes live. And obviously our mission is to provide as much value as we possibly can on a whole host of health related topics, specifically for ladies. And um, you'll be the first in the know whenever a new podcast goes live. So if you can hit that follow or subscribe button, it would mean the world. And if you would like to show your support in another way, the second best way is to send the podcast to someone in your life. Perhaps someone in your inner circle is looking to make health changes in 2024. Perhaps January was just a bit manic it was it felt very wintry in January, didn't it? And I totally understand it can often take after the Christmas break a couple of weeks to get going again. So perhaps January wasn't the one, but maybe February is your month. Maybe February is the month that you've decided, right, I'm going to grab the bull by the, by the horns, so to speak, and I'm going to throw myself into prioritizing my health and well-being. If you know someone if there's someone in your life who fits that bill and you think episodes of Health Hacks would help inspire and motivate them on that journey, send them an episode. This one, we're going to be talking about measuring our progress, but perhaps someone you know is struggling with 
perimenopause or how to eat around busy family life or perhaps ADHD. We have topics, a whole host of health related topics. There may be one that is specific uh, to them. Otherwise, just send them the link to the show and hopefully they'll explore and find some amazing episodes that will have a ton of value or add a ton of value to their life. Okay, today's episode. A couple of months ago, we did a recording that sparked a ton of questions, both from my clients, actually, but also from listeners of the podcast. It was our episode on fitness trackers. It was myself and Wade Foster of Executive Performance Coaching, and we were discussing the pros and cons of the different fitness trackers that we have come across and that we've used Spoiler alert, he uses Aura and Garmin. I am a Fitbit and a whoop girl. I've, uh, I was Fitbit through and through. And as of last year, moved over uh, to the whoop platform and have been using that wearable for, must be around about a year now. Must be using whoop for about a year. Um, So those are, are the devices that we personally use. And that episode sparked a ton of questions from people who had existing uh, tracking uh, devices, but also those who were looking to either move platform or get into tracking for the first time. So today I wanted to build on that episode and talk about the factors or the metrics that I measure with myself and my clients, because I think it's all well and good, you know, investing in and using these these trackers. We're now in a position where health analysis, health data, and the accessibility of that personal data has has come on so much. Even in the time that I've been in the the health and well-being space, the the accessibility of, of this technology is just absolutely incredible. And I don't often speak to ladies who don't either wear a device or they might say something like, yeah, Caroline, do you know what? I have an Apple Watch in a drawer somewhere. I just need to find the charger. Or yeah, do you know what? I, I was wearing a Fitbit for a while and, and I can get that on my wrist as, as you know, as soon as we get going. A lot of us have access to these, these devices. And I wanted to discuss today, what do we do with the technology? It's all very well gathering it. It's all very well looking at the graphs. It's all very well, you know, looking at the numbers. But what are we actually looking at? And what should we care about when it comes to overall health? So today's episode is building upon, as I say, that uh, that first recording of, of which tracker. Now we're going to look at what to measure. Okay, what we should be giving our full attention. And in some instances, what we shouldn't be paying as much attention to. What gets measured gets managed. I love this quote and it, it couldn't be more true. For any of you who are in business, maybe you have a, a startup, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you're managing a team, maybe you have a big project coming up. We all measure data. And in business, measuring data is absolutely imperative for progress. Now, how can we know that a project is coming in on time or on budget unless we're managing it? How can we know how uh, how our client retention is? How can we know how well we are performing? How do we know how individual team members are, are uh, performing? How do we measure profit and loss? You know, in business, measuring is, is part, you know, 
a huge part, maybe for for some of you, the part of, of the business that you're involved in. And it seems crazy to me that we understand in, in many instances why it's so important. And yet when it comes to tracking or measuring our own health, you know, it gets put on the back burner. Some of you may be listening to this episode and, and be questioning either the accuracy of your tracking, or perhaps it's not something you do using a, a tracking app, like any of the devices I've mentioned, Whoop, Aura, Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin, Samsung have a watch as well. It may not be something that you do, but I have noticed even through manual tracking with my clients, so using a simple, simple notebook beside of the bed to bring more awareness to sleep cycles and sleep quality using photos as a means of measuring nutritional intake. So we use a photo food diary to, to measure nutrition. Or it could be you know, measuring exercise sessions by ticking exercise workouts off on, on a calendar. That's all, maybe manually, but that's all a type of tracking. And what we tend to find when we bring any awareness to any metric is that it will start to improve. And we see that across the board. So for anyone who is questioning potentially the importance of, of measuring or the accuracy of the technology that we're using, it is improving all the time. And I still maintain, you know, take it with a pinch of salt and, um, and be mindful, of course. And above all, always listen to your body. That will be number one. But generally speaking, the more we are paying attention, the more we are observing and the more we are aware, the better the changes that we can make. So I do think it's it's have an open mind around a lot of this and be willing to absorb the data. Sometimes we don't want to accept the data because it might actually be hard to read. That can that can definitely happen. I've had, had ladies ask me, well, Caroline, my data must be broken or my step tracker must be, uh, it must not be working or it must be missing a lot of my steps. Well, maybe we're, maybe we're, genuinely not moving as much throughout the day as we as we think we do or maybe our cardiovascular fitness isn't as um, as great as we thought it was and that's where uh, trackers can be quite eye-opening uh, for, for the good and the bad and um, but today I think I'll what I'll do is I'll go into the main metrics that I like to track with myself and with my clients and go through what the, the metric is what impacts it generally and how to improve it. And what you'll find with a lot of these is that these metrics aren't like satellite components. A lot of our behaviors and a lot of the, the positive changes that we'll make to our lifestyle and our health will Im generally impact many of our metrics. Um, so I think there's this often this misconception that, you know, if you want to manage stress, then we need to be looking at heart rate, but you know, heart rate will also be impacted by our exercise, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, uh, when we make changes, it isn't exclusive to one metric, though generally a ripple effect across the board. So you might find that I'm, I'm repeating a couple of the, the same things that will come up, but what's positive about that is that if we improve our health markers generally, we will generally find everything will improve and, and move in a positive direction. All of our metrics will improve, which is a really, really encouraging sign when it comes to when it comes to health. Um, and just to give you a bit of an insight into how I coach my ladies, a lot of my ladies will use trackers. Not all, but a lot of them do. Uh, what it allows me to do is dive into the data and I can start to spot 
spot recurring patterns or I can start to spot trends. So if someone is generally becoming uh, fitter, I can see that if they've been uh, working on their on their fitness, I can generally see how that is improving over time. If someone is experiencing a particularly stressful week, I can see that in the data. If sleep has been poor for a couple of nights in a row, we can see how that in fact impacts the other metrics. It's really, really interesting. But what's important about the coaching role, I firmly believe, is being able to take the data and translate it in a, into a way that is meaningful for the individual. So it's it's collecting the data, yes, but it's knowing how to interpret that in a way that's going to positively impact your life. So I'll go into the five metrics that I like to review that get most of my intention. They're in no particular order, but there are five of them that I wanted to, to raise today. Um, the first one is HRV, so heart rate variability. And this is a generally quite a new metric. This definitely wasn't around or talked about in in the public uh, in the public space when I first started in the in the health and well-being world. It's definitely something that has come and arisen. Uh, a metric that's arisen as I, the, the technology has improved and HRV heart rate variability is you've heard of fight or flight mode right so we might be in, in fight or flight mode our body will either be in some uh, some place on the spectrum between fight and flight or rest and digest those are the kind of two extremes that our body can be in fight or flight sympathetic mode parasympathetic rest and digest generally you are somewhere on that spectrum and that can move it can move throughout the day and you will have a natural baseline that you will tend to sit at that's your heart rate variability your hrv it's your body's readiness essentially where you are on that on that stress scale and it can be impacted by by a lot of things so your hrv can be impacted by day-to-day -day stressors it can be impacted by sleep. It can be impacted by exercise, fitness. It can be affected massively by alcohol. And it is essentially your body's way of, of telling me how primed you are to work towards your health goals. So with HRV, the higher your HRV score, the better. Sometimes that that's sometimes confused. But if you jump into your your app, it will be generally under the cardio tab on Apple Watch. If you can find that and you find your HRV, your heart rate variability, the higher your HRV, the better. And when we're looking at HRV, sometimes I will have conversations with ladies and fat loss is the goal, for example. So they want to drop a few pounds or change a, a life, uh, lose a life changing amount of weight. If your HRV is very, very low, what that is an indicator to me is that your body is stressed in some form, whether that be a phys physiological, so physical stress or a, or a psychological stress. And you may not be in the best position. You may not be primed to support a fat loss goal necessarily. Your HRV will generally improve. So as you drop body fat, as you become cardiovascularly fitter, as you start to manage or uh, build a resilience or management of stress, you'll find that your HRV will improve. Um, but if you are in a, if you have a very, very low HRV a lot of the time, you may be holding or experiencing a stress that you aren't necessarily aware of. 
So it may be a bit of a, a subconscious stressor or a tension that you aren't addressing or giving your full attention. Uh, with HRV, it's very, very personal. So I have some clients whose baseline HRV is just naturally a lot lower than others. And it's one of these metrics that the more data you gather, the better. And when I talk about volume of data, I'm talking weeks and months rather than a couple of days. You'll find your HRV does fluctuate. And like many of these metrics, we're looking at trends over time. And this is a slightly slower trend. We would be looking for it to gradually increase as the weeks and months go on in our coaching journey as part of our program. So your HRV, look at those trends, look at how it is adapting over time, and you will find generally as you improve a lot of lifestyle factors, your HRV will increase. The biggest negative impact on, on HRV, if you ever consume alcohol, you'll find your HRV will typically plummet overnight. It will return to baseline, but HRV is one of the ones that it will show you the effects of alcohol and that it's not just in the, the evening of the, the consumption of alcohol, but you'll see it's fairly low the next day. And even the next and the next, it can take three or four days for your HRV to return to, to baseline. And it's certainly for me personally, one of the, the metrics that really made me think about the consumption of alcohol and whether I wanted to see those scores lower for the for the coming days as a result of, of consuming alcohol. So I definitely find mine will, it will even half overnight with the, with the consumption, which is really interesting from a data perspective and shows you just how impactful alcohol can be. But the first one, uh, as far as health is concerned, if you want to have a look on your tracker for your heart rate variability. I know Apple, Aura and Whoop definitely allow you to track your HRV. It's one of the uh, one of the kind of focuses of, of their platform. I would be interested if anyone has a newer version of a Fitbit than I have to know whether they also include HRV as a, as a uh, metric with that platform. The next one, resting heart rate. So your heart rate will fluctuate throughout the day, of course, I mean, we've all experienced if, if something happens to us, if we get stressed or we get anxious, our heart rate will will raise, you know, that um, kind of uh, pumping of the heart tends to be very, very steady and fast. And um, we can also get kind of tightness of the stomach with anxiety. That heart rate uh, does have the ability to, to change throughout the day. If you've exercised to any great intensity, you'll be familiar with the, the feeling of your heart rate elevating. Very, very different to experience heart rate elevating in an exercise format than it is in a high pressured, you know, stressful situation. In exercise, it can actually feel really good for your heart rate to be to be raised and to feel, you know, okay, my body's working, I'm working up a sweat, I'm, I'm pushing myself here. That can actually feel really great in a lot of exercise contexts. Doesn't feel so great in a boardroom setting when you've been put under a lot of pressure, someone's firing hard questions to you and all these things. That is not the same uh, experience of, of heart rate raising, although physiologically is a similar response uh, in the body. Your heart rate will vary throughout the day, but what I'm interested in looking at is my client's resting heart rate. So where the baseline of their, their heart rate is uh, at rest, it generally speaking, generally, take this with a pinch of salt, your heart rate anywhere between about 60 to 100 while resting is 
you know, what is cited as quote unquote normal. Generally speaking, the lower your resting heart rate, the greater indicator of improved, particularly cardiovascular fitness. So lower the heart rate, generally the fitter the person, so to speak, or uh, the improved, uh, if you've been improving health markers, you'll find that your heart rate will, will lower. Whether you engage in lifestyle factors like smoking, uh, drinking alcohol, stress can impact resting heart rate, anxiety, as I mentioned, hormones and particular medications can also have a have an impact so you might find if you if you change a medication recently or you find that you are going through um hormonal changes that your heart rate your resting heart rate uh, tends to fluctuate or increase decrease uh, more than uh, more than normal that can absolutely happen um but what is typical to you again this will be trends over time and similarly to hrv these are not trends you know over a couple of, of days, we would really be monitoring uh, resting heart rate over a series of weeks and months to be spotting those gradual trends over time. I would ideally like to be seeing that resting heart rate trend downwards as an individual, improve their diet, sleeping regularly, managing stress well, improving physical fitness. And the way that we approach our exercise regimen generally, there's a mixture of resistance work in there. So moving a weight over a range, resistance work, whether that means gym work, body weight workouts, whatever, and also cardiovascular training. So obviously your, your NEAT is, it contributes well to, to cardiovascular health. So your activity throughout the day, your, your steps generally, and also cardiovascular training, whether that be you know, running, walking, cycling, and what can really help improve resting heart rate is engaging in vigorous exercise. So what you're actually doing when you engage in vigorous exercise is you are increasing your maximum heart rate and what's called your aerobic capacity. So it's the amount of work that you can do when you're very, very pushed. Um, and aerobically, what that basically gets your body used to doing is working very, very hard. And when it does so, it basically you work very, very hard and rest hard as well. So if you increase your, your aerobic capacity, your ability to, to exercise at great intensity, you'll find that your resting heart rate decreases. So if you're someone who's really, really cognizant of this and you want to improve your cardiovascular fitness, you'll be looking at your trends of resting heart rates. Athletes, for example, will have very, very low resting heart rates, maybe 30s, 40s, 50s um, at rest. And that's an indicator of, of someone who's very um, aerobically capable. Um, so resting heart rate is a really good uh, metric that we can all measure. But like I say, it's one of those that you're looking at trends over a longer period, not just over a week. It's always really interesting when I look at um, clients' data and what I can often see is if someone goes into a particularly stressful week, what I will generally spot is a mixture of the, the metrics that I've discussed. So HRV will generally go down, resting heart rate will increase, and there will be generally some impact on sleep as well. So as I said right at the start of this recording, these aren't satellite components, satellite metrics. There is always a crossover. And when you can start to 
look at all of that data and how it correlates, you get a really good um, overview of how um, an individual responds to the various stressors in their life and, and the impact of that. So it's really interesting. I'm a bit of a data geek when it comes to this. And if I could see everyone's data, you know, down to the down to these individual uh, points, it'd be really, really um, beneficial to get a good view of uh, what's going on. The third one is steps. So it probably doesn't shock you. One of the things that I like to use fitness trackers for is to gather steps. And I have to say, it's been one of, and I will say this, it's one of the criticisms I have of the Whoop platform is that they don't use step count. And just out of interest, I like to know, out of the, <laughs> just in terms of data, I like to know how much I'm moving throughout the day. And I'm not about to strap on both my Whoop and my Fitbit, although I have been tempted, but I'm, I'm not about to strap on two, the, two devices to do that. Whoop do a, they measure strain and recovery. So it's basically the balance between how much you are exerting throughout the day and then how well you are recovering. And essentially you can really only push your strain. You, know, you can only uh, train as much as you can recover. So they are very into the, the balance of, of that uh, in versus out or or how well you are um, managing to recover from the work that you're doing. I like to know step count. I think it's a really, really easy metric for a lot of people to measure. Keeps it super, super simple. And, and it does give us a, an overview of a couple of other things as well. I'll mention inactivity in, in just a second. But step count, really, really easy. I mean, I remember way back, I don't even know how, maybe I was 10, maybe not even 10. I remember my mum, she was a, she was a nurse and she had a very, very active job. She used to move a lot. And I remember the first pedometer I ever saw was something that she had clipped to her, her uniform and it used to measure her steps. And we've just really, we just moved on the, the technology, but steps is a really wonderful way for us to be looking at how much we are, are moving over the span of a day, over the span of a week, particularly in a society where we are becoming more and more sedentary. It's really important that we are moving enough and that we're getting movement scattered throughout the day as much as possible. Um, one of the metrics that I'll mention it now, Aura actually mentioned uh, measures periods of inactivity. So it's how much time you are spending just sitting down completely sedentary. And that's a, a unit I really like that they've brought into that platform. But our steps generally, we want to be aiming for anywhere between. It's not actually as high as you think. I know the 10,000 is banded around a lot, but that actually came when I looked into this was a marketing campaign for a Japanese. It was to do with the 1964, I believe, Oh, don't um if anyone wants to check that up or is googling uh, i'm sure it was the 1964 tokyo olympics and one of the marketing campaigns was about movement and they actually just chose the number 10,000 if you look at the data and the science behind movement anywhere between seven and a half thousand seven and a half is when the the benefits start to start to plateau but if you can be getting anywhere between seven and a half to ten thousand steps for most people um, that's a wonderful place to be sitting across the week. 
Your step count, if you can't get daily steps, and I do get that in the winter time, it can be challenging. Although I did actually note this morning that it's getting lighter that little bit earlier in the UK already, which is great, and darker that little bit earlier. Um, I mean, I'm looking outside at uh, in the evening and there's still a glimmer of a bit of, uh, of light there. Um, it does get easier in certain times of the year. I do completely understand that. But for the winter months, if you cannot be getting steps daily, look to weekly averages remembering that we are an average of all of our behaviors I have ladies that particularly with family commitments they may find that they're more sedentary throughout the week but then the weekends are spent potentially running around with younger children maybe running errands at the weekend getting more time to to do your workouts or or time with friends walking the dogs on the longer walks I know I certainly make time to do longer dog walks at the weekend it's just part of of what we do um you are an average of all of your behaviors so we cannot get a daily step count of seven and a half thousand minimum look to the average over the span of the week comes as a close second and as I say I hope that will just become easier as the as the year goes on okay so steps definitely one to be uh, to be looking at um next one is sleep Okay, and there are two components of sleep that I like to focus on. The first one, actually, I have some clients who haven't previously tracked their sleep, and I totally get why. They will tend to take their tracker off in the evening, pop it on charge overnight and put it on in the morning. Absolutely fantastic. But I would, if you have the option to or you're able to, I would, out of interest's sake, track some of your sleep data for a while, just so that you have an awareness of, of what it actually uh, what it actually is. Generally speaking, and I've used WIP for however long I've used it now, I can summarize sleep data. <laughs> you're never sleeping as much as you think you are. And I will put my hands up and say, I think I'm banking generally a lot more sleep than I actually am. And as we mentioned right at the start, what gets measured gets managed. If you can be looking, you know, the cold hard facts of the data, it will show you the tweaks and adjustments to, to be making. But generally, generally speaking, with sleep, there are two things that I do focus on. The first one is duration. So the total amount that you are sleeping, that's first port of call. You know, if I have a client who reports to me and they're logging uh, six, five, four hours, even that's the first part is, is the duration. So we really want to be absolute minimum seven hours. I prefer eight. I know I definitely function better on eight hours sleep. That's just me. And I even have points in the month where hormonal cycles and I, I can pinpoint days in the month I, I track my cycle alongside the data that we're uh, discussing today but I can actually coordinate the the nights of the month where I know I will want and need even way more sleep than that and that comes absolute paramount like it's an absolute focus of the day uh, for those few days is to make sure that I'm banking enough sleep to um, to balance um, that that time uh, during the month. But that comes with observation too. So actually tracking the, the metrics of uh, of menstrual cycles, really, really important. Um, anyway, sleep duration is the first one. So make sure we're getting enough sleep, seven minimum, any lower than that. I really do want to investigate that sleep. The second layer of that is and there is more and more data coming out to support that the consistency of your sleep is as important 
Some are even saying it's more important, but I'll let the experts battle that out. And as, as we do more studies and we get more evidence to support this, we'll be in a better position to, to um, uh, go into this. But there is evidence to support that sleep consistency is just as important as duration. Some are arguing potentially even more so. So when we talk about consistency, we're talking about the consistency of your bed and wake times. So how consistent are you? in the how regular are you in the time that you get to bed versus the time that you wake up now most individuals particularly if you work an office-based job is the one that i'm noticing if you have to get up to get a particular train to be in the office the the wake time tends to be very very consistent where the variation fluctuates massively is the bedtime and i see data across i mean i see ladies who are going to bed at 8 p.m one day, 10 p.m. another, and 2 a.m. another. We're talking huge variations in sleep consistency. And the long and the short of that is your body does not have a clue what is going on and regulating your circadian rhythm gets really, really challenging. So sleep duration, but sleep consistency. If you do one thing for your sleep, start going to bed at the same time across the week. If you think, Caroline, well, at the weekend, I, you know, stay up with my family, we we watch a film, or maybe it's date night, or maybe go out, I'm going out for dinner. That's absolutely fine. Okay, that's real life. And I do the same thing, right? We That's just can be part of the fabric of your week. And there's no reason to change that. However, at least I think it's practical and reasonable to try for five nights of the week, Sunday to, through to Thursday to regulate your sleep pattern and for me and my clients will know this but for me I use alarms on my um I did use them on my Fitbit now I use them on my phone now they're iPhone alarms but not the garish iPhone alarm noise that strikes the fear of God into anyone who hears it I use vibrating alarms at various points in the evening to signal to me, right, this is the time to be thinking about going to bed. Now, I've been going to the same, uh, to, I'm going to bed at the same time for years, years and years and years. And yet I still benefit from having that nod to and reminder, okay, you know, stop faffing around, stop cleaning the kitchen, stop reading, even stop watching the tv program if that's what i'm doing stop i don't work in the evenings i try really really hard to and um, but as a one-off maybe stop working what those quiet alarms do for me is give me that nod to okay let's start the wind down process now so um i have one that goes off at nine o'clock as a reminder and then i have one that goes off at 9 30 and that 9 30 alarm is a signal that you know you should be in bed by now you should have a book in your hand and you should really you know the skincare the teeth the shower whatever it may be you should all be done and you should be in bed by this point so i even use those as a as a signal for me i use 9 and 9 30 you might use 10 and 10 30 you might sleep be someone who uh sleeps a little bit later but find what works for you and above all stay consistent and the last one, okay, intensity of exercise. So do you have a way of measuring on your tracker the intensity of the exercise that you're doing? Uh, I know with WHOOP, 
and I know with Aura, because we've got a wonderful uh, platform that allows us to, to track both of those metrics. I know from, from Whoop, certainly, that it does this wonderful, has this wonderful feature will, where it will break down my workouts and it will show me what zone I've effectively been working in. Zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, zone four being uh, most vigorous, so zero to four. Uh, sorry, one to four. And essentially, I will know based on that data how I have performed in a given workout. So, for example, if I go into the gym and I only have 30 minutes and I'm going to make the most of my 30 minutes by doing some kind of high intensity interval training or maybe some higher intensity circuit work or I'm doing this awful workout at the moment that involves an assault bike, which is absolutely grim and it's dread it every time I go to do it but it feels fantastic once it's done but it would make sense to me that if I was going in specifically to perform a high intensity interval training session that I should be performing for that time of that workout at a high volume I should be uh, vigorously exercising I should be in zone three zone four if I say okay I'm going to go on a recovery run at the on a Sunday perhaps it's uh, you know maybe 30 minutes maybe I'm going for a longer distance run and I want to be uh, performing at kind of a medium intensity. I can tell where I am in those uh, in those sessions based on heart rate, based on training intensity. Like I say, Whoop does a wonderful job of that. It breaks it down into cardio zones, uh, which will allow you to see. And really, your zone should be match matching your activity. So, for example, if you're in a... Uh, uh, training phase, fat loss is the goal. You're looking to improve strength markers, improve performance, work really, really hard in the gym, but you're only performing at uh, one, at, at, sorry, in zone one. So uh, maybe 40 to 50% capacity. That's a good indicator that you're simply not working hard enough, or you could be increasing the, the work rate in that session and therefore being more efficient, getting more from the, the session that you're doing. So have a look at your zones if it's possible on your device and it will give you a good idea of, of where are you of where you are. It's really, really interesting. Um, a couple of things just to close on today. There are certain things that I don't look at on, well, there is one thing that I actually wish would come off all trackers. And it's that, unfortunately, it tends to as well. I know on the watches, the Apple Watch, I'm thinking in particular, it actually has its, it's one of the larger displays, I think. Uh, it's the calories burned. So most trackers will give you a calories or a predicted calories burned in a day or calories burned in a workout or whatever. I would love if that was removed from all trackers. And I would really love if you didn't give it any attention whatsoever. And there are various reasons for this, but the principal one is when I'm generally working with an individual, we're not just looking at exercise. We're not just looking at movement. We're looking at the big picture, which also includes nutritional intake. Now, if I have a lady, particularly in a fat loss phase, I will say, if you are tracking calories, for example, or you're being mindful of your consumption, it can be really, it can throw you off massively to start seeing a proposed number of calories that you've burned for the day from your tracker and historically what I have found with ladies particularly if they've been dieting or yo-yo dieted previously or want to improve their relationship with food perhaps their relationship with food isn't, isn't so great at the moment you can fall into the trap of thinking things like or bringing in narratives such as 
I've burned 300 calories in that workout, therefore I can treat myself to 300 calories or I have earned 300 calories or I deserve 300 calories or I can overconsume by 300. It's a quick, it's a very, very, uh, it's a ten tentative area to get into. And I think it really equates this negative relationship or correlation between exercise and diet and really a lot of the reasons the reason we are exercising is not to increase expenditure you know we're exercising for a whole host of reasons outside solely calorie expenditure so it might be building lean muscle tissue it might be protecting bone density it might be improving cardiovascular fitness improving mood improving our you know physical performance so perhaps you're working on a skill you know there are a million reasons to be exercising outside of simply caloric burn i think the moment we start to equate a workout with the calories we burn it's a slippery slippery slope and not one that's ever going to improve your relationship with food and calories so i wish i could take that off um all uh, all trackers i really do um i do understand there's a lot of data and Trackers are wonderful for a whole host of reasons. What gets measured gets managed, but it can be really difficult to look at all of that data and, you know, where should I, what should I actually do with this? How does this relate to me? And this is where coaching does come in. This is a lot of the work that we actually do is how to interpret all of the, all of the metrics and put it in a way that is easy for our ladies to understand and actually start to action. So there is an art to that for sure. And one of the reasons it's important that we know our ladies' lifestyles too, and we know the ins, ins and outs of you know, things like family life, food preference, because all of that factors in too. And uh, it's highly, highly individual and really, really important that we, um, that we know the individual behind the data. And if clients of mine are listening to this and they wonder you know, why I ask you to fill out a weekly check-in, I could give you feedback based on just the data. I could. I could jump into your data and uh, provide uh, feedback solely on the numbers. The reason that I ask you how your week has actually been is because I care about the human who is behind that data. You might have the best data set in the world, but if your energy is low, you're feeling crap, your mood is low, uh, motivation is low and you feel unfulfilled, it's not a great position to be in. Equally, sometimes we have to have really frank conversations where ladies will feel, you know, I feel fantastic, my energy is high, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this doesn't happen often to be fair, but sometimes what can happen is we can almost, uh, we can have a slightly disjointed view of what we're doing versus are we actually being effective and is it actually making uh giving us a positive outcome are our markers actually improving and if they're not why are they not and that's also my job as well so a uh, data set should always be should always be um, improving okay i think that's more than enough for me from this week but i hope you've enjoyed this and potentially you've been uh, scrolling through your um your tracking apps uh, data while I've been talking I would expect that you have questions specific to you I would suspect that based on what I've gone through you'll be thinking oh my goodness now I've jumped into my sleep data I notice that my bedtime is all over the place what should I be doing about that 
Caroline, I've noticed my resting heart rate hasn't changed in six months. What should I be doing about that? Caroline, I noticed that my HRV is particularly sporadic. So it goes up and down and up and down and up and down on a daily basis. There's no steady improvement. Or perhaps for you, your step count, you simply cannot get it higher than three or 4,000. Maybe your exercise intensity, you think you're doing all the right things in the gym, but you're not actually generating any exercise intensity and therefore not getting the outcomes that you want and improving those. What I've done in the show notes to this episode is I've popped my 15-minute booking call link in there. Now, irrespective of whether you are a client of mine, whether you are a podcast listener, whether you are just, maybe you've joined us for the first time or you're just interested in, in health metrics, I'm going to include my 15-minute booking link in this episode show notes. I would love you to book a 15-minute call with one of these metrics in mind that you would love to improve over the next two weeks. What we'll do on that 15-minute call is jump in, discuss the metric based on your data. If you can send it to me in advance, all the better. And we'll discuss how we're going to improve that in the next 14 days for you based on the data that we have and some information that I'll gather about you as an individual. Because like I say, all of this is specific to the person and the person behind the data. So for this week, I'm going to put my 15-minute booking link and my call link below, and it will open up and give you access to my calendar. Book that call in. In the application to the call, put the podcast in there with the metric that you would like to discuss and we'll reach out and we'll talk about uh, send, sending over some data ahead of time so that we can make the most of our time. And my aim for that call is that we improve that metric for you in a 14-day period. Okay, I'll include that. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Again, if you would like to never miss an episode of Health Hacks, you can hit the subscribe or follow button and we will automatically appear in your podcast inbox absolutely every single week. We're now streaming in 26 different countries. How exciting. So hopefully we'll have calls coming from all over the world and I'll be able to examine data from uh, from a whole host of, of different countries. And if you feel or if there is someone in your life, in your inner circle, who you know wants to improve their health markers. Maybe you know someone who's just gotten a new Fitbit for Christmas or an Apple Watch for their birthday, or as they, in the new year, they invested in an aura ring or a whoop. Maybe you've had a conversation with a friend over a coffee about why you use Fitbit and she uses Apple. Um, send this podcast to them because it might be really, really valuable and hopefully will help them in knowing which metrics to pay attention to and give their full focus. Okay, thank you so much for joining me and we'll see you next week on the Health Hacks podcast.